Welcome to Voices of Experience, your audio and video access to interviews, insights, and information that will help you speak more and speak better. Voices of Experience is brought to you by the National Speakers Association. Now, here are your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. The last month of the year is here, and we welcome you to our December edition of Voices of Experience. We are delighted to join you as you enjoy some holiday shopping, spend time in a busy airport, or just relax during this winter season. Pilar and I have prepared a special edition just for you to celebrate the holidays and to inspire you as you get ready for the new year. All of this with one thing in mind, improving your speaking business. Check out Speakers Magazine this month as there are many inspirational articles in the issue. And two of our interviews are available on video. Make sure you click on the icon on the bottom of the app to watch them. Let's get started. Gulf War veteran and world-class athlete John Register discovered you can be chasing who you think you should be or you can embrace who you actually are. John shares with us details about how he found his new identity as a person, as a husband, as a father, and a speaker. His fears were not allowing him to see his new normal easily, and at least two times in his life was through others that he found his path. How many times as speakers we try to chase something that we really want but uh, we overlook what others are seeing. And this happened to our guest, John Register, between that motivational and inspirational. So welcome to VOE. Thank you for being with us today. I am so excited to be <laughs> on the radio and VOE with all y'all. This is great. And we are happy to have you here. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I struggled a lot with folks that were, um, well, for myself, I, I wanted to be this motivational speaker watching the Les Browns of the world and, you know, I, like, I want to do that and that's me up on stage and doing that stuff. But in reality, after all of my presentations, after all the speeches that I gave, people were coming up to me and saying, man, that was so inspirational. You really inspired me. I want, I want to change what I'm doing in my life right now. Or they come back even years later saying, I still remember that, that speech you gave. It was so inspirational. This is what I do with my family. This is what I did with my, my children. It's an amazing process, and and I was just resisting that. I was saying, no, I'm gonna. Well, thanks for listening to that motivation stuff. And, <laughs> that's and, not me. And that's not me, that's right? That. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I was really resisting it, and the reason I resisted it was because I was this four-time All-American athlete from the University of Arkansas, track and field accolades, and every time a reporter came to interview me or the team, they sent a sports reporter and put us on the sports page. Makes sense. After I lost my leg in a freak hurdling accident and back in 1994, I made the Paralympic team. And every time a reporter came out, it was not a sports reporter, it was a human interest reporter. And that human interest reporter wanted to share with their audience this inspirational Inspiration. story. And I'm like, no, I'm a sports guy, not, not this inspirational thing. So keep that away from me. So I had to go through this process and really it took a long time because when I came back from Sydney, Australia after winning the silver medal in the Paralympic Games, I was sitting in an airport 
with my shorts on, so my artificial leg was prominently showing. And these two kids, about five and seven, were about seven to eight feet away from me with their matriarch, their mom. And they were talking real loud about this new discovery that they made. And they're saying, Mom, look, look, see that guy over there? Look at that guy's one leg. See that guy over there? Look, 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 Mom, there goes Robot Man. <laughs> and, <laughs> so and so I'm chuckle like everybody else chuckles. I've heard it you know, a thousand times before. And I didn't pay any attention to it until the conversation changed in the gate waiting area with everyone else. And they were having this outer speak conversation that really should have been inner speak conversation uh -huh. about those two kids, five and seven, who were talking about this new discovery. I wish that mom would shut those two kids up. Get them out of there. It's impolite to stare. Stop talking about that man. Leave that poor man alone. So the mom gets up and walks the two kids in my direction, and I think they're gonna do like the song says and just walk on by. <laughs> <laughs> but no. <laughs> What they happened? stop and they, they say, excuse me, sir, my children are, are fascinated by your artificial leg. Would you please tell them what happened? Well, boom, I'm now blown away because I have to, no one's, first of all, no one's ever done that before in that type of a setting with all this whole gate waiting area. And the, the lady said it loud enough so everyone else could hear. So now everybody else in the gate waiting area, they're now leaning in like that old E.F. Hutton commercial. How is and he going they, to react? <laughs> yeah, right. You suddenly had it's, an audience. I, had no, I got this audience. I'm a speaker, so you know I love an audience. <laughs> so, so I tell them about this whole story and this whole um, deal of losing the limb, having going through this traumatic time of life, and then moving on into Paralympic sport and then winning the silver medal. And I just happened to have it in my pocket because I was fresh off the plane from Sydney. And I put it around the five-year-old's neck, and I put it around the the seven-year-old's neck, and the mom's just like gushing and everything, and she asked me for an autograph, and she shakes my hand. And then the most miraculous thing happened. After they did that, they walked away. And I was blown away. I was like, what just happened? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a moment here. Something just happened. Right. And so as I began to begin to process, the conversations in the gate-waiting area, they began to change. How cool was that? Did you hear that guy over there? That story was amazing. Those kids' lives will never be the same. I'm like, never be the same? What are they talking about? Well, if you think about it, you know, maybe you know, that story happens, you know, almost 15, 20 years ago. Maybe they've just finished college. Maybe they're the HR directors. And the next time a person walks into the room in front of them, maybe it doesn't matter that they have some type of a disability or that they may be a person of color or they may be of, you know, just fill in the blank of what you, you want to because they are, their world has been opened up. And because their world has opened up, now they're more accepting of others. Then I thought about to myself, how many times did I miss it? How many times was I so into myself that I failed to realize that I might be impacting or inspiring somebody just because I wanted to be on the sports page and not the human interest page? So it really didn't matter about that. It mattered that each one of us, that I was inspiring, that each one of us in that gateway area, their inspirations, and that was my transformation, that inspiration leads us to motivation. Motivation in turn causes actions. Actions lead to results. And the results re-inspire us or allow others watching the process to catch the vision. And they definitely changed your life that day too. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was a moment of self-discovery total moment of self-discovery. And I think that's what speakers, you know, are, are always looking for. We, you know, my first NSA convention, I found out so much that I didn't know about myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I was on information us, right? <laughs> overload. And it was so amazing just to see, I think the one thing I took away from it was 
I needed to get focused on what and who I was and what my message was. And it wasn't what I thought it was to be. It was what everyone else was telling me it was because that was the, where the value was. And the more I resisted that, the more I was going away from the value that people were seeing. So I had to really embrace that inspirational value. And I do see a distinct um, separation between inspirational speakers and motivational speakers. Now, inspirational speakers sometimes get tagged in kind of the Christian or the religious uh, aspect. But I really look at it as you have a delineation that inspiration becomes the catalyst to motivation. Right. At the end of the day, every time we're on the platform or we're in front of an audience or we're doing a training session, we don't want the people to be worse off than they were when they came to us. We want them to be better. That means we're inspiring them. And we're inspiring them to do what? To act. To act and be motivated to the next thing that they want to do in their life and be more and more successful. And a lot of times it's also the way that how we see ourselves. And you mentioned before, before we were started recording, we have to learn and to discover what to amputate for, from yes. our lives. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I had a, a course, I, I said I'm an amputee, and I had a freakish hurdling accident, which resulted into the, my, the, the limb removal of my left leg above the knee. And I won't go into that story. That's another, <laughs> another time. But... From that, that's just such a traumatic experience, and a lot of our men and women who come back from service are, are suffering the same things. And, and, and the whole transformation is, what's my identity? Who am I now? And I was saying that to myself on that hospital bed. Here's this guy on this Olympic pathway, and now the, the dream has ended. Life has changed. And I'm thinking to myself, after everybody's out of the room and I have this new limb is gone, I'm 40 pounds lighter, who am I now? Mm -hmm. What's my identity? Am I still the husband to my wife? The last thing I remember, her hand slipped away from mine. Am I still a, a father to my son? How's he going to view me now? And so all these prejudice that things that I had against people with disabilities that I never knew were there were starting to come out because I was fearful of how people would perceive me if I'm now something else. And I think as speakers, we have that, that same thing as well. We're, we're, we, we sometimes get afraid of letting our true self, our true identity out because we're gonna get somehow discovered. But no, that, that's who we are and that's what, that's what people are gleaning from us. So as I was struggling with that, the doctor comes in, takes one look at me and I am in a, an emotional wreck. And he gets me up, he calls my wife Alice to come over and she puts me in the wheelchair about, that takes about 45 minutes to do and they wheel me outside. John Jr. and my wife Alice are swinging on the swing sets. And I'm in this inaccessible playground in this wheelchair, and I can't get up and go even play with my boy and my wife on the swings. And this is something, you know, families, we do this all the time, and I, and I couldn't do it. And I just lost it. I broke down, started crying like a little baby. And my wife saw me str struggling, and she comes over and she says, what's going on? What's wrong? And I began to articulate everything that happened to me the night before. And she said to me the words that stopped my downward spiral. She said, you know what, John, we're going to get through this together. It's just our new normal. It's just our new normal. How powerful. It's beautiful. And I had to self-reflect and think about that and say, you know what, maybe it's about the, the, the things I still have left and not about so much the things that I've lost. Maybe it's about the opportunities and not the amputation. 
And John Jr. jumps off the swing set, comes running over to me, Daddy, 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 what's going on? And those five steps that he took, running his foot full, full on at five years old, he just validated me as his father and it just created his new normal. So that's what I had to do is create that new normal. And I believe that's what we're all doing every single day. Because when you get back to what we have to amputate, there are so many things that are holding on to us that we're afraid to let go of, but it's hindering us from getting up to our new life, our new expectancy, our new normal. So I'd say to my audience, what is it that you have to amputate to create your new normal? Part of the work that you do is you come alongside other athletes and you help them start to look beyond some of those things that are holding them back. Mm -hmm. And you have a method of getting a little in their head and in their heart to really define where they want to go. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, sure. You know, one of the things I was I was doing with one of our, our teams for the Paralympic Games, Paralympic Games being those games for athletes with physical disabilities instead of what we most like think about our Special Olympics. And so as I'm trying to get them to understand how good they are and that they can actually say the things that they want, I have to do a little bit of kind of psychology with them and hopefully they're not <laughs> listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I challenge them, and I'll come in the room, and I'll, I'll ask them, i say, so what is the goal? What do you want? What is it that you really want from this experience and going to Rio de Janeiro, which is going to happen next year, uh, 2016? And they'll say, I just want to make the team. It's going to be awesome to make the team. And so then I'll come back, and I'll say, so when you get on that plane, you've, and you finish up your competition, and you're flying back to the United States, and you just made the team, that's going to satisfy you. And you can hear a pin drop in the room, and you can, they're just getting tense. And so the next question is, so what do you really want? And I'll repeat it, and they'll, they'll go, I just want to be on the metal, pants, metal stand. I just want to be on the metal podium. That's what really I really want. You know? I just want to be there. And so, so when you're on the, on the plane right home, and you got the bronze medal, you're telling me that's good enough for you. Happy as day of the night, really. <laughs> right. And some will say, well, if I did my best and tried my, my hardest, you know, and, and, that, and the silver medal came up, then that's what I want. I say, well, you, you haven't done the best right now because you are, you are in the future thinking about what's going to happen. And you can play with whatever you want to in the future. You can be the world champion. So what does it take for you to say, I'm going to win the gold medal? And as speakers, a lot of times I think we, we short ourselves on the brilliance that each one of us has. And we short ourselves, maybe say with inside of the NSA, we have some great awards, right? The, mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 uh, the CSPs and the CPAEs that are, that are out there. And we say, well, I don't know if I really want to reach for that. I don't know if that's my thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy just being in the game. But then your peers start receiving some of those and you're like, well, if I, if I don't say it, then I don't have to be it. And so we have to begin to articulate the things that we really want. And so say, yes, I want my CSP, and I'm going to do the work that, that needs to, to do to accomplish it so I can advance the industry to show that I'm a professional in, the, in, this, in this game and that you know, I'm just not going to bring the curve down. I'm going to actually try to lift, lift, everyone, lift everyone up and everyone that comes behind me as well, give other people something to aspire towards. Cy Wakeman, CSP, has been in the speaking business for 20 years. She began developing and teaching her employees a reality-based mindset, and what she found was inspiring. Her employees were not only motivated to succeed, but also driven to deliver results. Her 
approach helped them to adapt to change and radiate happiness on the job. Same with her clients' teams. She will share with us what corporate dating has to do with this effective way to build her own team and how we can do something similar. Cy Wakeman, CSP, you're on the top 100 leaders to watch list. Did you know that? You know, I was informed of that on Twitter only, though, not on, you know, not in the world. But. <laughs> well, you're on our list, and that's why we wanted to talk with you. 20 years speaking business. In the business, yeah. Yes, and learned some pretty valuable things along the way. I have. We'd like to know, what have you learned that would help others along the way as well? Well, that's a big open-ended question. I know. You know, one of the... Um, things that I would say that I learned early on is that you really have some decisions to make about whether you want your business to be about your fabulous personality and your great presentation skills and your ability to present from the stage and deliver great messages, or do you want your business, you know, to be about a significant contribution you're making and thought leadership that really lives beyond your personality. In fact, if you want to be in the business of replacing yourself, or if you want to be the main um, focus in your own business. I think it's a key decision people need to make. What decision did you make? I made early on that uh, I really want to build my business on my philosophy. I feel as though I have a very differentiated philosophy and leadership based on my research. And uh, I really want to take people into the next level of leadership. And so I've decided instead of it being about Cy Wakeman, it's about reality-based leadership, ditching the drama, turning excuses into results, and you know, restoring sanity to the workplace. Um, our business goal, people would laugh. My goal in the business is that um, when I die, no one even notices. <laughs> in fact, my challenge to my staff is seriously that I am dead and that they can run the business for years with no one even picking up that that's, uh, that's even a problem, that they have so much content and thought leadership to repurpose and uh, to um, that we've put so much into the virtual world that, uh, that you know, my thought leadership lives beyond, and that they're the caretakers of that fabulous estate of intellectual um, content that I've left for them. And that's replacing yourself, and it's another wonderful way of living legacy. Absolutely. Um, in our business, what I have found, and this is just um, for me, I uh, really work hard to make myself replaceable um, early on, and I still travel a ton, and I love presenting. And I realized pretty quickly that I hindered, not helped in a lot of occasions because I tended to think that it's my stuff. I have to be the guardian, the shepherd, the, the, um, the person who not only created it and, and wrote it, but the person who then delivered it and edited it and keyworded it and put it on social media. And I'm so grateful that uh, early on, someone taught me that you can't write and edit at the same time. If you have writer's block, you write a sentence in your head and then you start editing it and it never hits the paper. And what I was taught to do is write a really crappy first draft 
and then hand it to people who have expertise in delivering it. And uh, I learned how to do what I call improv. I put something out there and into the hands of someone else who's gifted. They add their gift. They say, yes, and, and they put it out there and say, yes, and to another expert. And before we know it, it's kind of like making music. I lay down the first track I send it away. Everybody adds their amazing talents. And when it comes back to me, I hear this incredible song. I'm thinking, that is amazing. And I wonder who wrote that. And they're like, Sai, you did. But see, all I did one night was have a glass of wine and lay down the track. And I think that's really um, just such a key. So, for instance, um, I write weekly for Forbes.com, I blog, FastCompany.com. Um, those are older markets. Um, I have a wonderful PR person that uh, I literally give her a hundred words, and she's so familiar with my philosophy that she is the expert. She takes it, pitches it, creates a blog, and a lot of times I'll Google and find a blog I wrote and look at it, and I'll go, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, but you have to have people that really live and love your philosophy. You can outsource your content and have it shepherded and have guardianship someplace else if you haven't really made sure that you have people who live with your own values. How do you find those people? You know, that's the key because a lot of people ask me, you know, I want someone to do sales and they hire a salesperson and it doesn't work out. And I think a lot of speakers go through that cycle. Um, I don't believe in having a need or a task and then going out and hiring. I believe in um, corporate dating. And so what I do with all of my clients is I see who boils up to the top as raving fans. And I pay a lot of special attention to them, personal mentoring, development, you know, here's my cell phone number. And so rather than interacting um, as much with other speakers, which I love and talking about my business, I spend more time um, courting um, a lot of folks. And then just trusting the universe as they come to the point that, you know, there's a change. It always happens that the universe gives me exactly what I need. As corny as that sounds, I wanted to move into a certification format. Someone I had courted at Hallmark Cards for six years came to me and said, Sai, my job is being changed. And I know that you preach and I believe that you stay in peace. Or, I mean, stay in joy or go in peace. And if I take this job, I'm going to stay in hate. And so I want your help to either get wholehearted about my new role or to leave in peace. And I said, well, why don't you call me next Tuesday? Because uh, I would rather you come run all my certification programs and be my VP of training. She called Tuesday, started that next Thursday, and uh, has just taken it and ran with it. I sat through certification training a couple of days ago, and I was so impressed with the materials, you know, that she created. I didn't create or edit those. I don't have to, because that's her expertise. She's an adult learning expert. So you didn't have to spend a lot of time onboarding and orienting her to your business philosophy and strategies, because she had been following you yes. for six years and already knew the language. Yeah, she had read my books. She had my books dog-eared. She, I had worked with her as a client, come in. She'd been through so many of my trainings, and uh, um, she you know, added to my content. She would write me, here's how this applies 
guys. I didn't even, she started editing my work before she ever worked for me. She would call me up and she'd say, Sai, you need to word this differently. Sai, this isn't going to sell to the corporate world. I just wanted to help you out. But you've got to have these positive relationships where you give to people in those corporate um, pieces so that they're helping you out. And, uh, you know, people feed me jokes. They feed me, you know, statements. It's just, if you open it up, um, everything you need will come to you. It just isn't that hard. And that is a key word. You need to be open to that because you have mentioned energy and trust and let go. And sometimes for some speakers, and it's difficult to do. Yeah. It's not all about us. Yeah. It's not all about us. And, you know, I do a lot of work just... Um, noticing what's kind of left of my ego. And what happens is your ego loves to keep things and procrastinate and edit and overthink. Otherwise, you'd have to put something out there that isn't that great as okay and get feedback. And that's a vulnerable place to be. If you can do your personal work and work on your ego and just trust that the universe is kind, put your stuff out there you don't get inspiration and motivation by thinking this thing to death. You get it by playing with the world. And it's an open energy cycle. I put something out there, and then people give me feedback and response. They laugh or they don't laugh. They, And that's how you have to learn is playing with the world. You cannot sit in your office and try and come up with the perfect plan. Life is improv, and you need to be out there um, playing. Happy to introduce at BOE our next guest, Sandy Leiva, a small business innovation coach, and we are here to talk about revenue streams. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. There are so many ways of doing this, but you have proven some that are specific for small business and for speakers. Let's start with that membership site. Yes, um, I have been doing this for about five years. And interestingly, I started with only six people. So everybody can do it. <laughs> okay, so six people. There's a way to get started, right? Absolutely. So, Wherever you are, that's the right moment and the right place to start. Yes, but, but here's the question I want to ask speakers that are listening and watching this. How would you like to make $8,308 from webinars? Yes, webinars. You don't have to travel. You don't even have to put on makeup. You don't even have to do your nails. So this is 8,800? No, 8,308 for one per webinar? webinar. Per okay, webinar. let's do the math. Per webinar. How do you do it? So if you have a membership program and you charge 1,000 a year, and then you have 100 members, how much is that? That's $100,000. Uh -huh. And then you have a webinar a month because you've got this year-long program. Then that that is 100000 divided by 12, which is 8308 A lot of people don't realize that until you do the math on it. But, you know, imagine, and of course, people that have more, you know, higher prices and more members can make even more per webinar. So how do you do the marketing of that? Because it's not only doing the webinar, of course. It's not only having you started with six people or grow that to 100 people. 
what is the process? If you can take a step by a step to make that happen, to go to that 8,000 per webinar. Yes, so it definitely is marketing. First, you're gonna wanna find the product that you have the audience loving. Just really, the audience is gonna have to have a need for that. Many of speakers are so natural because they already have a natural audience and they already have content. So, you know, just putting that in a webinar could work really well. So they already have two of the pieces. Then you will need a little bit more on the technology. Uh, and if you have built your list over and over, you can actually just mark it to the list and say, I'm starting this, here are the benefits, you've got to have this, you know, and then that's how you get started. And you pre-record one webinar, you don't have to do it again. Yes, exactly. So, mm -hmm. It makes sense. So we're not selling a webinar, though. We're yeah. selling a membership exclusive connection with you, the content expert. Is that right? That's exactly right. And a lot of people don't like that word membership, and a lot of people don't like that word continuity. So I actually call mine a training and coaching program. Mm -hmm. I like the word program better than I do membership. And to be honest with you, all mine is, is a bundled training and coaching program. So I do that monthly webinar. I also have a Facebook page, so there's community, because community is absolutely essential in order for the people to bind, because they're not gonna wanna uh, they're going to want to renew every year because of that community. And then there's a little bit of accountability built in. And the coaching, what I do is I do Q&A calls for that. But that's still webinar format. The entire thing is virtual and online. And sponsorships is another opportunity for revenue stream. So how do you do it if you haven't done any sponsorship how do you do it? Well, if you have the membership program and you have 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 members. members. <laughs> do the math right there, 1,000 members, 100. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you actually have vendors in your marketplace that want to get to that demographic. Reach out to them and develop a sponsorship uh, program. I have a PDF that's about a seven-page sponsorship information kit and they get access to the community. I'm gonna do a little webinar with them. It's a little package. And then they pay me thousands of dollars to uh, be, uh, to have access to my accelerators. My program's called Accelerators, mm -hmm. so. What do we say to those members of NSA who are already doing this and they really, they're really wanting to take it up a notch? Do you have a tip for them? There's several things you can do. The vendors love the fact that you're a spokesperson for them. So you could offer additional services to the vendors. Often they will have you speak on and represent the product. And of course you have to vet all this because it's your, your reputation. Um, so I just, you know, did something for Citrix the other day and it's, and so they will do, they will, you know, bring you into their inner circle and that's additional revenue. The really big revenue generator though is to have that higher level coaching and mastermind program. Your members are your marketing. Um, th those are the people that you can market to in order to get that higher level in your program, they will pay more. And I've seen in the marketplace those higher level mastermind coaching programs go from anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 per person. 
So if you just had 10 people at 100,000, that's a million. That's actually how I it got the attention of myself because there were a couple people out there in the internet marketing world that were doing it this way and I thought wow <laughs> 10 people that's an easy million dollars so um, so I, yes so the second level program is really good it does require a little bit more of your time so you definitely want to charge that extra amount so we're going from a little more than eight thousand dollars per webinar to tens of thousands of dollars in a coaching or mastermind kind of program. We're talking million dollar revenue streams here. And you know, it's great. It's, uh, interestingly enough, my membership program and my sponsorship program now have eclipsed my speaking income just because I'm getting older and I want to <laughs> stay home. <laughs> It's all a matter of just repurposing because we sell each individual product that we have as we're generating these webinars. I've been, this is my sixth year with Accountants Accelerator. Uh, so you can imagine that I've got more than 60 webinars that we've done that can all be an individual product. So I've got a product store as well. And that's another revenue that's stream fantastic. too. Well, if you're not taking advantage of multiple revenue streams. You've just discovered that for a little effort and a good strategy, you can find a way to outgrow your speaking income and maybe stay home a little more often. And keep using that calculator. Thank you, Sandy Leiva. Thank you. Thank you. We are here with Nick Knight, CEO, co-founder of Revisit, digital publishing platform and one of our sponsors. Thank you, Nick, for accepting this invitation. Thank you for the invitation. And we speakers have a lot of content, but we don't necessarily leverage the way we should. Let's start there. What do we do with that content so we can reach more people? That's a great question. And I'll tell you that a lot of people don't realize that the content they have starts with the presentation they make. As speakers, your content is what you talk about. So even from that perspective, you can start there. If you don't already have a book, if you don't already have some other sort of media, take what you talk about, that subject that you talk about, and turn it into products that can generate revenue, can brand build for you when you're off the stage. That's the first step, is to take what you talk about and turn it into a form that people can purchase from you. And many speakers already have one, a book or DVD or audio, but Maybe one is not enough. Maybe one way of doing it is not enough because you can have eight books and that's it. So what do you see in that sense? That's correct. There's, there's, a thing, there's a study which you can look up called learning modalities. And basically the study proves that people learn information across three different modalities. Visually, uh, audio, or written or kinesthetic, tactile. They need to hold something. They need to read something like a physical book. So what's interesting about that study is that all three modalities are evenly divided across the public. So if you only have a book, a written book, you're missing two-thirds of the people to absorb your information in the best way possible. Now, why that's important is because if people don't absorb your information, how are they gonna go out and tell the world what great information it was? If they get your book and they just kind of flip through the pages and don't absorb it, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. So you need to deliver the medium, the content in the medium that they need. 
and they are evenly divided. So it's 66% if you only do a book or have an audio, the That's other right. 66 is out. Yeah, so, so the math is right there. So you, it already tells you what do you need to do. do you have a, if you have a book, you need to figure out a way to turn that into a video. If you have a book, you need a, a way to turn that into an audio product. If you have a video, you need to turn that into a book and an audio product or an interactive e-course or any of these things. You want to hit all those different modalities. It's okay that it's the same material because people will choose the way they learn best. Some people just need to put uh, an audio track in their iPod and go jogging and that's how they're going to learn what you talk about or maybe on their drive to work. Those are the audio learners. People who are visual, they're not going to sit down and read your book. They might have it on their coffee table and they might think it makes the place look, you know, intellectually stimulating. <laughs> and they cannot the, recommend it to others because they haven't read it. <laughs> that's right. They haven't read it. They're, you know, they say, I have it. I haven't read it. But if you give, if you gave the visual learners something in a video format, which could be as simple as you sitting down in front of your computer with your computer screen recording or your uh, camera recording you and just talk to them right from your office. Just kind of say, okay, so in chapter one, here's what I talk about and give it to them in a way that's a conversation through a video these people are going to be able to absorb your information and tell others about it. Nick, I got to tell you, I'm just getting a little overwhelmed with thinking about all the different things that I've got to try to create. <laughs> okay, so I've got the book, and now it's got to be audio, and it's got to be video. I've got the speech. I, I don't have the book yet. You know, I'm not sure I can... I can do all of that, I, and I'm not very good at admin work. So right. are there some shortcuts or tips? Uh, are there some... Resources. Some resources that will help us do all this. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I like to do is to search the Internet for the least expensive and most effective ways to accomplish these things. And so I've kind of collected a whole list of resources, in fact, uh, yeah, to do these like things. Speakers like that. So. Yeah, they love that stuff. I mean, everybody loves that. I love when I find something new that I need it <laughs> done, and they say, oh, by the way, it's free. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's always great, right? So there are some great resources. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple of them that come to mind. If you already have let's say a podcast interview just like this one, if you have something that's audio, okay? A quick way to turn that audio file into something that could be a printed book or an ebook. now you just hit two more of the modalities, or even use it, uh, your audio track, as part of a video thing, the first thing you're going to want to do is have it transcribed. So there's a company called Rev.com, R-E-V.com, and I have no relationship with them other than I refer them because I've used them many times They take your audio track and for about a dollar a minute, I think it's actually a dollar a minute, not about, um, that's what they charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you have a seven minute audio, then it costs seven dollars. And they'll transcribe the whole thing and they'll deliver it to you in a form that's editable, also a PDF. So you can go straight, you know, with a little bit of editing, you can go straight to having an ebook or a printed book. They also do language translation into 35 languages and they do legal and business level translation. So you don't have to worry that they're not going to understand your industry. Again, a great company. Now you have your book in multiple languages. And in you don't need to modalities. speak the language. I, I hear that a lot that a, a lot of times. Oh, do I don't know Spanish. It doesn't matter. Your book's in Spanish. The market is there. Why not? That's a great Absolutely. resource. Absolutely. Or yeah. 35 languages, you said? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And they'll also transcribe video. So even if you have a video, you can send it to them and they'll turn that into a written format as well. So really great Very resource. Good. What if I have a blog? I've been writing a blog for years and I've got all that great content there. And I'm think, starting to think maybe I could... Maybe I could use that as Start a to turn that into a... Pro exactly. You should take... So that's content you've been writing for years and years and yes. years. And it's kind of aggregated into this place. And we all know that, you know, blogs that have gone for years, you generally don't go back to 2008 and read the old blog entries. But it's great information still there. So one of the resources I tell people is go to a company called blogbooker.com. 
and that's again a free resource so this is one where what you do it has to be a wordpress site so if you've got a wordpress blog you're going to export your wordpress blog and there's a way that you just do that right in the admin panel it says export and it exports it all as a as a, some kind of data file and you upload that to blogbooker and they turn it into a pdf and an editable format as well, including all the comments anybody's ever made about it. So it's like it wow. gives you everything, and then you can go in and weed out stuff. But you know, you've got great testimonials, maybe as, as some of the comments you've gotten on your blog over the years and stuff. And that's a very fast way to go from a WordPress blog to a book, or again, an audio or video course. Yeah, and then turn it right into an audio, and we got the full. Wonderful, package. and we do have speakers, for example, that they wrote a book before the digital world. Yes. Do you have another resource? Uh, they don't have anything electronic. Yeah, I, I hear this all the time that they say, "Oh, I, I want to turn my book into an ebook someday," but I don't even have the files, or maybe it was with a publisher and the publisher had the rights for a long time, and now they got the rights, but they just got a physical book. A great resource for that is called Bound Book Scanning. So Bound, because it's a bound book, so boundbookscanning.com. And uh, Bound Book Scanning is, a, again, a very inexpensive resource. It's a, a small flat rate, which is, I think, of roughly around $30. And then it's some pennies per page, like four cents a page or something like that, whatever it is. For a very inexpensive amount of money, a, a one-time investment, they take your book, you send them your book, your physical book, and if it's a book that you've got a lot of, it's even cheaper if they can cut off the spine. But they'll go and do a digital scan of the entire book, they'll do an OCR capture so that all the text is actually editable, and they'll send you the files in uh, like Word and PDF and other things that you can go in and edit. So now you've taken your physical book that maybe was, you know, like you said, before the digital revolution happened. Maybe it's from the 90s or something and you just don't have the digital files. Now you have something that's editable that you can work with and turn it into an ebook or even update it to make another printed book. Right. That's fantastic. I really appreciate the fact that you're giving us some resources that we can begin to use to really get back to reaching all 100% of the, the learning experience. What about Revisit? Revisit. That's my favorite. <laughs> Is it? Of course. <laughs> and we as NSA members have great benefits. Yes, you do. Is um, So we partnered with the NSA. Um, Revisit is a digital publishing platform. So all of these things we're talking about, these ebooks, videos, e-courses, audio files that you want to let them download and put on their iPad, all of those things, you need to have a way to package those and sell those to your customer. So Revisit is a digital publishing platform that serves that need, but we do it in a very special way. Any product you create on Revisit, uh, a number of things happen. First of all, it's protected so that you're not going to people aren't just going to be sharing your stuff all over the internet. So you have that going for you. The biggest thing that I like to tell people, the biggest value of Revisit is this: once you've sold your product to your customers, you maintain a connection to that product. So anytime you want, you can add a page, you can update the content inside, you can even sell them new content like a bonus chapter or a bonus video if you want to monetize further. Um, but any change you make to your product, you instantly change every copy in existence. So when you start to think about the implications of that, you now have a book that never gets old, it never gets outdated. You have a relationship with your customer that you can keep improving over time. So you're building your brand, you're building that customer relationship, and you've added loyalty marketing because now they're going to your book and they're revisiting, hence the name, they're revisiting <laughs> your product revisiting. over and over. So when you're ready for your next book to be released, right inside your old book, talking directly to customers who've already paid you money, you can put in that uh, an announcement page that says, hey, here's my new book. And since you're my customer, you can get it at a special price or you can get it before everybody else or whatever. And that's the loyalty marketing side. So a really great, strong way to kind of build your brand and, and build your product 
uh, flow. Well, we really appreciate our partnership with you and the benefits that you bring to our, our members. And thank you for spending a little time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All in the information business. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you. Lori Guest has December's edition of Two Sides of the Same Coin. Boy, do we have a good coin to discuss this time. The question is, does a great keynote speech have to include interaction? First up to voice his opinion is Manley Feinberg. Manley presents gripping keynotes and vertical experience programs to help people stretch their comfort zones and lead with impact. Interaction is definitely not required, but I think we have to ask first, why has this become such a hot topic? Perhaps you've been pushed to make your programs more interactive, or maybe people have even limited the amount of time you have on the platform. I hear it more and more from meeting planners and corporate leaders as well. But when I've dug in and asked them, why are you pushing for more interaction? And what they've told me is, Manly, what we really want is engagement. So how can we drive more engagement? I believe the secret is in us committing to the relentless pursuit of mastering the art of speaking. What does that mean? Art of speaking to me boils down to three essential keys. The A, authentic. If you want to connect with your audience, you must be authentic, transparent. But what drives connection more than anything is you caring. When your audience knows you care, they connect with you, and when you're transparent, that is foundational above all else. That R is for relevant. Both our content, as you probably know, must be relevant with the audience, but at a conversational level too, the language we're using, that it connects with the words that they use to express their very needs, their pain points, and what they're dealing with, what they're trying to achieve, that is critical. And the T is technique. At a strategic level, elements like emotional contour, and at the tactical level, vocal variety and storytelling skills. When you make up your mind to master the art of speaking and you relentlessly pursue it, you're constantly working on your techniques, you're constantly working to be relevant and listening more to what your audience really needs. And when you're doing your best to forget yourself, your ego, and show up authentically, letting your audience know you care to build that connection, then I truly believe we will be in a position where interaction is a choice and not a crutch or something we're forced into. And next up, to share the opposite side of the coin, is Patty Hendrickson, CSP. Patty shares high-energy leadership keynotes to audiences of 30 to 3,000 and always includes interaction. I see my job as not just a speaker, but I'm a facilitator of this unique collection of people at one point in time. I'm part of many pieces that make up the event, and if I'm doing my job, I'm helping the learning happen before, during, and after. And that's what interaction helps me do to make the meeting planner happy and also to make the richest event for those people who are there participating. Um, I'm reminded of a fabulous quote from Ken Blanchard, none of us are as smart as all of us. And when I walk on the stage, I keep that first format forefront in my mind because I'm there to help people feel the content and let it saturate. 
I think some people think interaction is a bad thing because they've seen it done poorly. Um, I'm not talking about a 45-minute energizer or an icebreaker. I'm talking about a 30-second piece where people shout something out, whether at the starter program I'll give out, throw out a number and have them collect with two or three people and brainstorm what this number could be. And they come up with it, they shout it out. That fellowship is happening right then. Or if I'm showing statistics, I give fun cards out ahead of time. Then people stand up at different points. And when I'm talking about engagement and maybe 17% of the people in our organizations aren't engaged, when 17% of an audience stands up, you see how many people that really is. That's interaction. They're becoming part of the, the process. Um, often I'll also have them um, find a partner, someone they don't know, um, meet them, take a selfie with them, um, post the conference hashtag or newfound friend, awkward moment, and make it a commitment that they're going to connect with them later on and share the one best thing they heard that day. What that means is they're building connections that are going to last longer than this event. And when that happens, I'm doing my job giving content that saturates. Interaction for me is a must. Well, there you have it. Two successful speakers with the opposite viewpoint, proving again that there are two sides to every coin. Well, at least that's my two cents. Well, we have a very special interview planned for you for this December edition of VOE. A friend of ours who has gone through an amazing evolution of career that I think we can learn a lot from. His name is Ed Taylor, but everybody knows him as Santa Ed. Hi, <laughs> hi Ed. Oh, 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 oh. Hi, Steve, Pilar. How are you guys doing? Wonderful, and now better to see seeing that smile. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's such a joy to be here, and I'm I'm so honored to be able to uh, to visit with you guys and share my voice of experience. <laughs> oh. Well, you have had quite an experience years and years ago. You weren't Santa. You were an internet marketing guru, weren't you? I was, yeah, I was, I was blessed, uh, really. I saw the internet as a timely topic right when it got off the ground. In 1995, uh, it became a little bit of a buzz, and I jumped on the bandwagon before there was even a bandwagon. And by the uh, late 90s, I was out doing uh, you know, 80, 90, 100 seminars a year, speaking to every group and business group around the country and around the world. So yeah, it was really a fun ride. And I did that really right up until 2008, 2009. And I still am involved, but today more on my, for my own personal development and not so much with clients. So, you know, it's evolved into a promoting all my other projects now. So how did it happen, that change? It was because it was stressful, it was too much traveling, you got tired of the topic, and then you found something totally different without even looking. I just wanted to do something different and something that was fun and something that took advantage of my skills and allowed me to do what I wanted to do that didn't require me to read an hour or two every morning the latest Google updates and algorithms so I could stay, you know, teach people how to stay on the top of Google. So that was really the, uh, what preceded this. And I, I spent hours and hours in meditation and in thought just think about what's next. You know what? I, I don't want to retire. I can't retire. I don't, I don't have the, the nest egg that I really want to retire. I, and, I, and I don't have any intention. I, I don't have any desire to do that. I love speaking and helping people and making people laugh. I, I love that. So I was like, well, how am I going to do that? 
And my Santa Claus in, uh, you know, my, my being a Santa, I, I was a little volunteer project. I lived in a small town, Ashland, Oregon, and they asked me to be the Santa Claus in the parade every year. And I volunteered at the local hospital fundraisers, and I loved it. I mean, I really loved it. But at some point, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to see about taking a paid position as Santa. And the first job I had was with Microsoft, actually. And they put me in a mall demonstrating one of their products down in in Southern California in in Beverly Hills. And I got out of that season and I loved it. I said, wow, this is a blast. And the next thing, I mean, there's a long story behind all of this. But at this point, let me just say that I have an agent. I've been on a bunch of television programs, you know, on the Today Show. TMZ even caught me at the airport one time. I've been on a bunch of commercials. I'll be on several more this season. I mean, I'm also a corporate spokesperson. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just done a bunch of stuff all as Santa and thoroughly loving every single minute of it. So it's been a blast. Hey, Ed, one of the things that fascinates me about where you are in your career is that you have now evolved evolved by taking what you used to do in internet marketing and you've brought it into the Santa world and have really made a big splash doing that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you made that happen and the influence you're having on other Santas. Yeah. So, so what I did as an internet marketing guy, I saw myself really as a trainer. So, you know, I, I was teaching classes live, then we kind of evolved into webinars and I, I did webinars for other companies and organizations where we did online training. So in the Santa world, as I kind of joined Santa associations, I saw there's a real community of these Santas. One is I learned a lot. I started learning how to get better at being Santa. My performance, I don't even really call it a performance, but it is. But the way I portrayed my Santa self, it got better. I learned how to do that better. And I loved it. You know. So then the next thing was, it's like, as I had a couple of years under my belt, I recognized that I'm pretty good at this. And there's a lot of people around me who are not. Some of them have been around in the business for a long time, but they they were kind of stagnant, I think. They didn't challenge themselves to get better. And and again, seeing myself as a trainer, I said, you know, my next step here is to create a little Santa school. And I created an online version so I didn't have to travel all the time and and all that. So I created this thing that we call the SantaClausConservatory.com. And so, uh, you know, now I've I've had more students through that class or through that school in the last two years than I think any other Santa school. You know, it's it's a big deal. And this is for everybody out there that's a speaker or wants to be a speaker. So what I did... As I took live classes, we created a series of, of nine classes. I, you know, I, I chunked it all down. I did the same thing for my new, new book, my entrepreneur book. I'll, we can talk about that in a minute. But I took three groups of three classes, and then we conducted them all live and then recorded them all. Okay, so that then the, the live classes were what they were, and then the next product became the recorded classes, right? So now I have a little vending machine. So we have a system all set up. People can go buy. They can access the recorded classes. And then I piggyback on a little coaching that comes with that. That's all done over the internet, all email. And I'll take phone calls too, but mostly it's internet or email rather. It's a sweet way to develop a product that, that you get paid to develop because you're just recording something that people are paying to attend. Right. Let me mention one other thing. I chronicled my story in this little book called How to Become an Encore Entrepreneur. And it talks about my story and two other stories. One is an editor and the other is a pig farmer who all over the age of 50 
decided to follow a passion and build their whole new business. So that's my new project. And we're going to be doing the same thing I'm doing in the Santa school, online training and all that sort of thing. So then that'll be my next speaking platform. So we'll go out next year. You'll see me speaking on the ARP type of a circuit, AARP type of a circuit, uh-huh. um, talking to 50 plusers about what they can do to add income to their life, doing work that they absolutely mm-hmm. enjoy and all that sort of thing. Well, thank you very much for spending a little time with us and giving us an idea of the whole process of your career and where you're at right now. And I think we've gained some ideas that will help our listeners and our viewers think about how they can up their game as well. Good. Yeah. And there's a ton more resources and people can look at what I did. Not, not, you know, just to to see my models, just go to Santa or just go to edtaylor.com. And now a presidential conversation with Ruby Newell Legner. What is a speaker that has inspired you through your career? We would love to hear from you. Oh gosh, that list could probably offend everyone in the room because it's there's such a long list and I would leave somebody out, but uh, I'll go with a couple highlights. Um, I think the first speaker that I ever saw that was that now I know was involved with NSA was Mickey Williams. I was at a an event for swimming and she did a speech for us and then hung out with us afterwards and I just went, oh, I didn't even know that was a profession. That's pretty cool. Mickey and I won't share how long ago that was, <laughs> but then I go back to think about, you know, the, the Tony Robbins and the, the uh, Stephen Covey days and then all of the different people that have impacted my career as, as um, watching them from afar. DeWitt Jones stands out for me as one of the speakers I saw at an NSA convention early in my career that really, he inspired me beyond belief just by the simple concept of being a, a National Geographic artist who was the photographer that really took these amazing pictures and then you would just like, wow, that's so awesome. And then you would see, he would say, uh, so let's look at it another way. And you would see the most amazing picture on top of that. So it's uh, people help you stretch so many different ways and there's so many people. I'm sure I'm not doing justice to um, all the people who have inspired me, but those are the ones that stand out right now. Well, I'm curious, Ruby, who's the first motivational speaker that comes to your mind that you remember influencing your life? Well, Stephen, it's a sensitive topic. You know, I just turned 60. Um, I was actually celebrating while I was in the German Speakers Association. So, you know, the age is a little sensitive. So when I say this name, people are going to go, no way, you were alive then? Um, But uh, Art Linkletter, I saw him probably my first year out of college, he did a, you know, a motivational seminar and there were a number of speakers there. I don't remember who all was involved in it, but that's the one that stands out that was, wow, that is, that was pretty amazing. How about you, Stephen? Well, I do remember Art Linkletter, but I was just, Thank you. I was, I was and just I will a look kid. it up. <laughs> Make sure I am going to Google him. Yeah. Uh, For me, though, I remember, uh, and again, this is probably, you know, dating me as well, but Norman Vincent Peale was uh, Mm -hmm. one of the very first ones that I saw and heard and, and was just mesmerized by the power of story and how that related to my life. And it's the power of stories, basically. I'm thinking now, Colin Powell, for, for me, 
was very powerful and it was those stories about childhood and uh, about the grandfather and a little bit of humor it's about that connection also that you feel with your audience and you are able to build with your audience we know that yeah the power of story it is an amazing thing that helps us be inspired and get that motivation because we all need it and you mentioned something about visiting the chapters and getting to to chat to members that's also very inspiring Oh my gosh, the last few weeks, I've been on the road for NSA for three weeks. And I started out in Germany, went to Munich, and was totally inspired by the German Speakers Association there. They've done so many amazing things. One of the things that they're doing is really cool, I'll, I'll talk about later, is um, their university program. They do an amazing uh, outreach to speakers to help them develop through their universities. And I think we can model some of their behavior. So I think that that's something that really inspired me. And as soon as I got back from that, I went out to uh, four different chapters in five days. I think Stacy told me that. That's a new record for uh, for chapter visits, and oh my gosh, I, I have enough motivation from visiting those chapters just to last the rest of the year, I think. As we are wrapping up the year 2015 and celebrating this month, the holidays, is there any special message that you want to convey to our members and listeners about this time? You know, as we reflect in December, it's a great time to just look back and say, wow, who inspired us and how? what can we learn from that experience that we can go out and inspire others? Continue to do what you're doing out there. It's an amazing impact that we're having on the world just by the positive vibes. I feel them every day, and it's great to visit the chapters and see them in action as well. So uh, reflect and uh, have a great December thinking about how you make a difference and how others make a difference for you. The New York chapter created a committee with one idea in mind, being accountable and helping each other through the process of getting the CSP designation. It can be a long and tedious process, so having a team on your side without any doubt helps. Diane DeResta, CSP, led this group and shares their best practices. Only 12% of our NSA members have earned a prestigious award known as the Certified Speaking Professional Designation. We have with us Diane DeResta of DeResta Communication who at the Influence 2015 been awarded that designation. So congratulations. And congratulations to you too. <laughs> well, and I congratulate the both of you. Yes. <laughs> and it is a tough journey to get to where we are right now. And the question for us is, why only 12% of our membership? Well, I want to say it is a tough journey. It took me 20 years, and so better late than never. But one of the reasons I believe it's so hard for people is it's an overwhelming application process. And most speakers are not admins. And I think the process really turns people away. And there needs to be a simple way to do that. And one day in New York, in your chapter, you received this phone call or in a meeting like, would you like to be involved to lead something to help our members to earn this CSP? What happened and what did you do? Well, we have a very innovative chapter president, Karen Jacobson, and she called me one day and said, I'd like to start a support group for people to get their CSP. Would you chair it, Diane? So, of yes, course, I said sure. yes. <laughs> and it was up to me how I wanted to create it and run it. And, of course, once I accepted the challenge, then, of course, I had to apply for my CSP. So what I did is I put together monthly calls. We had a conference call. We found who were the core people who were 
applicants and we met once a month by phone and we also had accountability partners so we would have pairs my accountability partner was Jess Totfeld and what I did on the first call is I started with a guest a chapter member who had just earned her CSP and that person was Marquesa Petaway and she was very in, in instructional, she was very motivational, and talked about the benefits and the whole process of what it was like to go through this CSP application. Another person I had on was Pegin Echeverria, because she also had a lot of inspiration and a lot of information and had, had been at a very high level. The best person that we had, and I recommend this for everybody, was Sarah Best from National, who chairs this CSP committee. And she told us everything that we needed to know, from soup to nuts. And as a result of that, we were very motivated and we were on the right path. Some of the calls didn't have speakers. They were discussions where we could get together and talk about what our challenges were. One person in our group wasn't sure she was going to go through it because, again, she was overwhelming. So I shared my process. The way I approached it is I started with my QuickBooks and I started with my recent, most recent invoice and I worked backwards. So I said, just start with today. Don't go backwards. Work from today and go back. And it helped and she ended up doing it as well. So it was a great way for people to stay on track, to support each other. We also opened it up to people who wanted to learn. So you didn't have to be an applicant. You could simply dial in and be on the call. And I think that was really critical because you want to build that succession and you want to plant those seeds. So it was very, very powerful. I really like the idea that you created the monthly calls to have that ongoing conversation as well as the accountability partners because the process can can be very lonely especially when as a, who a person who's a non-admin is staring at all of those documentation uh, requirements and you just get so lost in it to, to have somebody else who's in the process with you great idea I want to go back to the conversation that Sarah best brought mm -hmm. to you could you give us a couple of ideas of things that she recommended everybody pay real close attention to that helped them to, to be successful? Well, one of the things she told us is you needed to get in 20 clients who would fill out a questionnaire on you. And there was a deadline and she said, start following up with them because m many of them don't get it in on time. And the good news is they do work with you at National. She told me, these are the people who have not sent in the form. And then I would get right on the email and start saying, could you send it in? So that's helpful. Know that they're not against you. They're really your partner in this process. One of the things she told us that I was not aware of was the power of the video. I didn't realize how many people get discounted because of the video. And we asked, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, for example, one person sent a video on an iPhone and that was not acceptable. It wasn't quality. Another person was reading slides. They were reading their PowerPoint slides. So when she said that, then Jess and I were saying, oh my God, <laughs> I, think I, I think I looked at my PowerPoint when I did my video. So it created a little bit of paranoia, but it was fine. But is a 45 minute video it, without editing? Yes, it needs to be 45 to 60 minutes unedited. So anybody who edits a video, that would not be accepted. So no interaction, no promotional reels or anything no, like that. It's no about sales. them in really in action, presenting and speaking. Yes, and I think we need to educate people more about what the qualifications are on that video. 
if you don't have interaction, that's going to count against you. So if you're standing there and lecturing, that's not going to work. You do get to choose two out of four people who are your evaluators on the video. So that's really helpful. And then if there is a, discretion, a disparity, then it will go to a larger committee to right. decide. Sometimes we have to work backwards, but sometimes we just know that is coming our way. We are getting ready to get that CSP. And I love another idea that you did in your chapter. The person that comes for the first time or the first year, and you are already giving that Excel form and those ideas. To well, start. I had made that recommendation that when we get a new member, why not give them the Excel forms from National and tell them to start documenting now? And had I done that when I started, it would have been a lot easier. Uh huh. So right. I would recommend that to anybody listening to this. And then it wouldn't be so overwhelming during the year before, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because we're so much further ahead. And it raises the bar of the chapter. So congratulations to both of you again. Thank you. And Thank hopefully you. we inspire more together. Right. To Absolutely. Earn that CSP. Thank you. Thank you. Here are your winter conference co-chairs, Gary Rifkin and Christy Ward. Hey, Gary. Good to see you. How's business going? You know, it's good, although I, I've been starting to think I may want to kind of leverage my expertise in a different way. Is that right? Where do you want to move from? Well, I'm, I'm a trainer now, and I was kind of thinking it be need to start doing some more consulting. Well, listen, you need to come to Winter Conference because we're going to have some people who have done just that Ooh. to help you move your business forward. Oh, wow. That's the last weekend in February, right? Yeah, last weekend in February in Austin. And oh. as well as the regular breakouts, which you have the option to go to, you can go to something we call cadres, which is where an expert, say in consulting, which is where you want to move, is going to give you the how-tos. Excellent. And will they, will they have that for keynoting as well? And, and oh, even yeah. For, for keynoting, yeah. for training facilitation, and for consulting, those three core areas. So wow. we're going to, you know, it's really a cool, and it's not just going to be all about, you know, content, although we've got lots of content. We're going to have a really fun event sa Saturday night. It's going to be an Austin street fair. Oh, so, fun. You going to have yeah, like food trucks and everything? Oh, food trucks, fun, and entertainment, surprise entertainment. So, you know, it's going to be a great jam-packed weekend, and hopefully we'll help you transform your business. And did I hear that Randy Pennington was going to be opening the event? Yep. He's kicking it off, and who knows better? Yeah, he's like a change guru. Um, That's right. And then what did I hear something about John Acuff, the guy that wrote Do-Over? John Acuff, an author, will will be our closing keynoter. So he's going to leave everybody with the how to move your business forward if you didn't get enough content over the weekend. Wow. And Chris Clark Epstein is, is in charge of the, the whole cadre experience, right? Yes, that's right. Because Excellent. Chris is a, is a facilitator extraordinaire. Well, you know what? I'm going to go right now to nsaspeaker.org and hit that learning experiences tab so I can go sign up for the Winter Conference. Good. I'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, Christy. See you then. This is Voices of Experience announcer Sam Newton. It's time to wrap up this edition with VOWE. Now your hosts, Stephen Iverson, CSP, and Pilar Ortiz. Well, Pilar, this has really been an inspiring edition for me. And as I've been listening to each of the interviews, I started to notice a pattern 
it, and it was about transitions. I'm thinking about John Register. and What he taught us was that sometimes we have to learn to let go of some things in order to create our new normal. And sometimes that comes from the voices of our audience telling us what's valuable to them. Uh, I think about Cy Wakeman and some of the things that she said about learning to improv in our life and how it gets a little messy sometimes, but we've got to at least do something. And then Santa Ed, you know, Ed Taylor, great example of a transition, learning how to improve his own skills, but transitioning from one career and then blending a lot of those talents into a brand new one. It really has been intriguing to consider. And I wonder what kind of transitions maybe I need to start thinking about for the new year. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners could think the same way because it makes us reflect, and especially at this time of the year as we are ending a year and starting to get ready with these New Year's resolutions and what to do and what not to do, it's a good time to, to see and to listen to our inner voice, not only the outsiders, but even within ourselves. Are we doing what we want? Are we really accomplishing what we are looking for? Or what is that dream that we would love to do? This is a wonderful time to do what we always have wanted to do and to stop doing what uh, is not serving us. Mm, right. So have you had any moments in your career where you had those kinds of transitions, maybe something you had to let go of? Yes, and I love when you said the word transition because years ago when I lost my job on that TV station, I really thought I needed a TV station in order to be, to do something. I never thought about another aspect of my career. And even though right now I do uh, work as a spokesperson and a TV host, being a speaker and author and consultant gives a different perspective. And now I know I can do it on my own and my own company. And I didn't lose anything. It's still me with the talents and with my expertise, but from a different perspective. And what about you? You have, we have had this conversation regarding some things that you had let go. Oh yes, I, you know, over the years in my speaking career, I keep coming back to occasions where I, I begin to realize that the next transition to the next level in the speaking business means I have to let go of some business that is comfortable, that's maybe easy income. And in order to make room in my calendar for new business or for things that make me grow and stretch, I've got to learn to let go of some of those customers. Oh, absolutely. Or the comfort of receiving a check, but maybe you are spending more time than you should. Uh, so that makes sense. Absolutely. It does. It could be bad habits. It could be excuses or the drama or procrastination. It could be so many things. So it's, it's a good moment to think about it. It is. Well, and Pilar and I are very interested in hearing from you, our listeners of VOE. We want to extend the conversation. Tell us a little bit about some of your transitions or maybe some things that you're learning that you have to let go in order to make room for something new. It's very easy. Go to the National Speakers Association Facebook page, post your questions, your comments. We really look forward to hearing your thoughts. And also remember to download the VOE app so you can enjoy this valuable information on your own time and place. Oh, and on this edition, something special. Oh, that's right. We've got a bonus video right here in this segment. It's a holiday greeting from our very own Santa Ed. 
<laughs> so make sure you watch it and you enjoy this holiday season and have a wonderful year. Happy New Year. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>